0: Welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geist, and today we're here with Anna Tucker, who is our dairy nutritionist, uh, Dr. Hannah Tucker, I'm sorry, uh, here with Sioux Nation Ag Center, and Jill Johnson, who is the manager of our dairy division. And both the two of you bright minds here together today, I'm hoping that we can delve into this topic of how milk gets from the farm to the table. You know, I know the phrase a lot of times is from, you know, uh, farm to fork. But in this case, it's more like bulk tanked glass. I don't know how we, would, it, I tried
1: to come up with a witty topic or a witty way of saying that. And I couldn't come up with one. No, so I just no. said from farm to table, cause I'm a scientist and I can't come up with quick retorts like that. They tried to teach us in grad school, but it just didn't
0: stick. So you, we're
1: just dealt with what we have. You didn't
0: get that class. It, that was not your, that was not no. your quick no. retort. Class one oh one was not yeah, one of no. your strong points, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of our audience probably, you know, the, it's like, well, this is something we know, but this industry has changed a lot, even very recently, and how a lot of these things have changed uh, in what goes from milk coming from the farm to the table. So I suppose, I mean, if we're going to start, let's start at the farm level. Sure, and
1: I would agree with you. There's been a lot of changes. Um, some numbers that I was looking up was just general numbers for, like, specifically South Dakota, because the I-29 corridor is the new growing industry for the dairy industry. And on average, uh, average herd size is 641 cows for South Dakota, which is very different than, like, Wisconsin, where it's around 200 cows. The different main difference that we see on dairy farms now is that the herd size is growing, Mm. Which means that there's differences in parlor sizes because mm-hmm. you're trying to get those cows through the parlor, which is where they're getting milked, as quickly as possible. Because if they're back into um, their pen, that means that they're going to be resting and eating and drinking water and a.k.a. producing more milk.
0: Sure, sure. That's definitely a big port. Okay, so how does this dynamic then change how production occurs on the farm, you know, as far as is there more volume of milk per cow or is it just we just have more volume to handle because we have more cows?
1: Right now, the cow numbers are um, trending back up. Historically, they were going down just because of the supply and demand. Um, Mm -hmm. There's much more plant-based products versus people drinking cow's milk. Um, But now the numbers are creeping up I don't know what it's going to do in the future. If I had a magic eight ball, I would not be sitting right here. I'd be on a beach somewhere. You'd be telling
0: us these things (laughs) from your your beach location in Maui. Yeah,
1: exactly. What we can see happening, and this is the more progressive states is how I would look at it. Um, And I can say this because I'm from one of those. Michigan tends to be number one or number two for amount of milk produced per cow. And that's definitely an efficiency standpoint. If you have less cows and you're feeding less cows, but you can still produce more milk, that's going to help the producer out. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that's the goal on every farm because that's the beauty of the dairy industry is there's a lot of differences that what you can see is the goal might be that they want to have more components. So more milk, fat, more protein versus total volume, just depending on what's going on in the industry. In our area, actually, there's a lot of cheesemakers. So that means that we want to capitalize on the amount of components. Um, So that might mean that there's different breeds of cows so there's a lot more jerseys out here than there are in other places just because they're looking at the components Mm -hmm. and jerseys tend to produce more components
0: versus holsteins sure so basically it it kind of depends on where you're at as to what you're going to see for milk volume and how what works the best for an area essentially
1: absolutely i would say that um jill really exceeds on this for being able to look at what that farmer is trying to focus on and try to help with their goals in mind.
2: Right. I guess my part to lead on to that off what Hannah said there is, um, I can't talk scientists like Hannah can, uh, but it sounds so
0: delightful. Right. It does. You feel like she should be in a big lounge chair, right. you know, with Here, my white
2: me. lab coat on Yeah. feet up. Yep. So,
0: and we're just like, Hey, somebody has got to go get that crap out of the back of the barn. <laughs>
2: So when I go on a farm, I kind of look at what um, I ask, ask the producer, what areas they want to focus in on, whether it's the parlor or their heifer replacement program, or getting more pounds of milk in the tank, or like Hannah said, the comp- if they're focusing on the components. Um, and every farm and producer is different in what they're looking for and how we can help them achieve those goals is you know we can go about that in a different way depending on the tools and resources that they have available well
0: i mean that's such an open-ended aspect that you're talking about you know it's everything from how you manage the parlor to how you manage the barn to how you you know obviously your different ways that you can look at feeding i mean that's that's such a wide range the
2: Right. There's so many moving parts on every dairy farm and yeah, what we can bring to the table to help them achieve their goals or improve a certain area of their dairy is yeah, limitless.
1: And I would say like that's something that doesn't get talked about. We talk about, you know, table or, you know, farm to table mm. and really going from farm to table means that you have to start at the calf and mm. then you work with that calf going from being calf to a heifer and then to a dry cow and then into a lactating cow and she's moving um, into the parlor and then the milk is going to the processor and then it's going to the grocery store and then it's finally going to the consumer. And that could be the form of any of the awesome dairy products. I have a preference for ice cream, but you know,
0: yeah, (laughs) not everybody
2: does. (laughs) But with Hannah's um, comment regarding farm to table, uh, consumers are so much more interested in where their food comes from. And I think that's what our goal is not only as a company but as um, a business and the ag animal industry is to educate our consumers so they know where their product's coming from they know how their milk's getting to the table how their uh, beef is getting to the table and what processes it goes through to get there.
1: I get a lot of questions. I mean, we talk about me being a scientist. I'm a super nerd, but that's fine. I get a lot of great questions from consumers, and usually the best questions come from little kids that I'm giving tours to on dairy farms. Oh,
0: absolutely. They are the most insightful.
1: Yeah, and the best thing is is if I can treat their questions with interest and explanation, that means that their parents are also getting that information, and they mm. feel more comfortable because... They hear Dr. Tucker and they get a little bit nervous to ask me any questions because they think I'm this, you know, science guru. Well, in reality, the whole point of being a scientist is to be able to explain your field. Mm. And I really think that the consumer understanding what's going on behind the scenes is just going to help our industry instead of trying to maintain a distance that's not going to help us in the end run. And it's just going to have major implications on what we're doing on the farm versus if we're able to educate them they're going to have
0: better insight and we're going to be a better industry for it so okay when you talk about that next step i mean when you're taking you know, once milk leaves the farm in the bulk tank and as you said in this part of the world a lot of this is going to cheese but in other parts of the world it's going mostly to fluid milk what what does that look like and this is something that you know even some of us that have been a little dabble a little bit more in the dairy world, we, we just don't get to see any of this unless it's something small and local like, uh, you know, uh, one of our local cheese plants or, you know, whatnot that sells direct to the consumer rather than through a retailer.
1: Right. And, I mean, a comment that I always like to make during this is that so far the milk has not been touched by human hands and it never will be until you actually pour it out or stick your finger in your glass of milk. Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes in from the cow to a bulk tank or to a bulk tank, tank hauler. There'll be a sample taken because we have the dairy industry is heavily regulated, Mm -hmm. um, looking for antibiotics and looking to test for other components of the milk. And so what'll happen is they'll go and drive to your processor. They'll take that sample and run it to make sure that there aren't any antibiotics in there and to test for the other components such as protein level and milk fat level. As long as all those tests are passed, then the milk goes into the plant and it's actually separated into uh, skim milk and then into the fat. So the if you have whole milk sit out, you're going to have separation of that fat naturally. Mm. And from there, the skim milk will be, it's separated so that we can have consistent products. So we have a variety of milk, for example. So there's everything from whole milk to skim milk, which I call water, but there's uh-huh. to each their own. Um, From there, what'll happen is the skim milk will be added back in with fat at a very specific level. So for skim milk, there's actually no fat added versus Mm. like whole milk, it is 3.5% fat. And then from there, um, it's going to be homogenized and pasteurized. So homogenized means that the fat is um, broken up into smaller um, particle sizes so that There's, you're not going to get that separation of cream and um, the skim milk that Mm -hmm. you would have from whole milk. And then it's being pasteurized, which means that we're bringing it up to a certain temperature for a certain length of time so that we're decreasing the amount of pathogens that are in there and that it's more shelf stable. From there, it's packaged, sent to a grocery store and somebody buys it.
0: Boom. That's all she wrote.
1: Yeah. It's (laughs) it's so easy. Everybody should do it. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. This is (laughs) This is just a broad overview, and this is not my background whatsoever, Um, and I just know broad brushstrokes. I really give it up to food scientists because I don't
2: completely understand everything they do. So when you mention pasteurization, there is a broad group of consumers, and I would say that area is growing, that want they're going back to unpasteurized milk. That makes me
1: worried as a scientist, and I'll sit here and say that I'm an amateur microbiologist at best. But there's reasons that we pasteurize it, you know. Especially as a veterinarian, Jake, I can I know that you appreciate this wholeheartedly. Um, but the reason that they that I hear a lot is, well, you know, back in the day, everybody drank from the bulk tank. Well, but they were in that area that that bulk tank was in, and people were exposed to different pathogens. And also, back in the day, there was a higher, you know, morbidity problem with people. (laughs) So, you know, the United States, we're very lucky that we have very high standards for our feet or for food for humans. And part of the reason is our regulations.
2: Um, Do you think this group of consumers thinks they will see a benefit from unpasteurized milk?
1: I have not seen any research to, sh- to show that there is a benefit for unpasteurized milk, um, so I can't comment on it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you ever we- seen that comic of the, the two cavemen sitting together and the one says, "We're well, all our water is, is um, from the original source, all our food is organic, we breathe fresh, clean air, and we don't live past 30 years old. Why is this? <laughs>
1: Actually, a comment of Fun fact that you know every dairy person has to think about is um, milk is part of the reason that we got rid of rickets in the yes. United States. Yes. I forgot to add that we do add in um, vitamin A and D into milk, so that's the only additive in milk is the vitamins. But because of the prevalence of rickets and realizing that most people drink milk, they added in D into milk, and that's part of the reason that we don't see rickets in the United States versus other countries.
0: But we are still chronically short of vitamin D. I
1: can't help that. I know.
0: Doing your best on the dairy side.
1: I, I'm so. not short of vitamin D, let no. me tell you.
0: <laughs> six glasses of milk a day, I'm good.
1: It's not six glasses of milk, but there's a lot of cheese and a lot of ice cream. Uh, uh, yep, yep. And actually chocolate milk. Well, okay,
0: so uh, there are consumers out there. Lactose intolerance is a very prevalent uh Condition, Uh, one could even say it potentially is the the more natural state of an adult human rather than lactose tolerant. Mm -hmm. Um, Options for lactose intolerant people are out there that are still dairy. Correct.
1: Correct. Um, Actually, one of the biggest grow or the only growing segment for fluid milk is with uh, Coca Cola's Fairlife, and they break down the lactose. Um, So that's actually part of the reason it's sweeter because, or. Lactose is uh, sucrose and galactose combined, so it's a disaccharide. And they take it and they break it apart, so then we can digest the sucrose and galactose.
0: So for the layperson, that means that it's a two-piece sugar, and they make it each into one piece, exactly. Two, exactly. two separate pieces of sugar, instead of just one mm-hmm. piece of sugar with two parts.
1: And there's we have receptors to be able to taste the sucrose and the galactose, and that's why it tastes sweeter, versus lactose. The more you know. Yep. I'm full of fun facts. I love fun facts. Fun facts with Hannah. I know. <laughs> but um, also, we, something that uh, I try to differentiate is people think that there's just lactose intolerance. There's also milk allergies. Yes. So that's dealing with the milk proteins. Um, and actually, this is something that I kind of pay attention to on the food science side is there's A2 milk. Mm-hmm. And so that means that there's specific types of cows that based on their genes, they produce a two protein. So that means that people tend to be less allergic to it.
0: Sure.
2: So
1: I think that's the next growing segment. I'm not sure how much of a non-niche market it's going to be, but um, it. It's one of those growing areas where people that do have a milk allergy, there's an alternative, which is Mm -hmm. pretty exciting.
0: And as always, I will put in the tidbit, please consult your physician before utilizing any of this advice because we are not physicians, nor do we care to be. (laughs) So I guess maybe to tie all this together, is there anything unique that you've seen uh, in the process of dairy production that you thought, wow, that's, that's just kind of a cool deal.
1: So I went on a study abroad trip to the Netherlands mm-hmm. and, um, I know that's not necessarily a place we think about dairying, but they actually, they have a lot of dairies. It's,
0: it is a pretty big dairy area. Mm-hmm. in
1: Absolutely. And, um, one of the tours that got set up, we went to a couple of different dairies within a really quick span and one was a robotic dairy. Mm-hmm. So a very high technology, super efficient and then the next dairy that we went to, it was in a double three or a double four, I can't remember, tandem, so head to tail, super old school. And they're receiving jars, so where the milk goes in after the claw and helps with making sure that the milk doesn't get backflowed in, where they were all glass. So Mm -hmm. you could see the milk coming in. And I think I grew up in the dairy industry, but that was just really cool to see because it's something that gets hidden behind stainless steel a lot of times Mm -hmm. because that's what most people use just for cleaning purposes. Mm -hmm. But to be able to see that milk coming in for each individual cow too was Mm -hmm. just, it's a neat experience that I can't even describe. Like I remember just sitting there just watching it because I was like, it just was blowing my mind
0: is almost back to what you'd expect when you hand milk and being actual to see the milk itself.
1: I have hand milk cows. I did not have as much joy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suppose. Well, thank you both for taking the time to come over here and talk with us today. And thank you to all of you out there that are listening to this podcast. Y'all take care now.